0: The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Mark Amtower of Amtower and Company, which is entirely responsible for its content.
1: This
2: is Amtower Off-Center, sponsored by General Dynamics Information Technology. Every week, author, speaker, consultant Mark Amtower gives you his take on what's going on in the world of government contracting. Amtower Off-Center, with your host, Mark Amtower. Welcome to Amtower Off Center on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 a.m. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here today with the, the brain trust, Stan Soloway of, is it Solera? Solero. Solero. Sorry. <laughs> you got to learn your Latin. <laughs> yeah, well, there's that. I don't use it that often. Uh, so Stan's here with uh, Bob Lofeld of Lofeld Consulting. Uh, so it truly is the big brain trust. So gentlemen. Uh, One of you start off here, procurement environment under the new administration. We're over a year into it, a year and a half into it now, I guess. And uh, what's it look like from, uh, Stan, from your point of view?
0: Uh, I think it depends on what perspective you want to take. And I defer to Bob a little bit more on sort of how much business is actually flowing through the the agencies. You hear mixed things. I think from that perspective, it's a little bit mixed, although the market is performing overall quite well. If you look at the data, you look at the, the numbers, I mean, at least through the second quarter, it looked like it was performing quite well. I think from a perspective of what is changing or how we're approaching procurement, we actually don't, at this point, have a clear signal. We don't have an OFPP administrator. We don't really have much of uh, of an acquisition focus, if you will, uh, yet from the administration on a policy level. And right now, GSA is really kind of in the lead on some of the most significant initiatives across government. So you look at things like uh, the online marketplace, which some people call Amazon for government, The centers of excellence and a number of other the whole systems review and rationalization they're going through the possible schedules consolidation these are all pretty big lifts if they actually take them to the extent that 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 some people think they will or could and in the defense department the only thing i'll say and we can get into this some more i think the to me the biggest surprise of this new administration has been uh the continued in fact growing influence of what i'll call the digital community If you remember back in the Obama administration, the creation of the digital services corps and the different agencies, a lot of people assumed, and I was one of them, that those would kind of dissipate under a new administration. And what has actually happened in the Defense Department, and I think to some extent also in the civilian agencies, but definitely in defense, is their influence has actually grown. And so if you look at some of the big things coming out of DOD right now, uh, a lot of them are being driven by uh, the Defense Digital Service, the Defense Innovation Unit Experimental, DIUX, and by the Defense Innovation Board which some may recall was a board that, that the secretary created very, very early on. It's chaired by Eric Schmidt of Alphabet slash Google. Uh, and a lot of folks thought that would be a nice high-level advisory group. And you know we've, we've seen these before. I had them when I was in the, in the Pentagon. Uh, but they're actually directly engaged on some programs. They're getting taskers from the secretary to get directly involved. And so I think you see a little bit of a different shift there.
1: So, Mark, let me give you maybe a, sort of a, a different perspective from Stan's. The, uh, the market, as, as we see it here, we're seven months into this year. It has been uh, terribly slow and preempted by continuing resolutions, by government shutdown, by uh, huge swings in the outlook for, for budgets at particular agencies like state and EPA. Great uncertainty in the market. And yet the market uh, still is performing, as Stan says, admirably under those difficult circumstances. I look back at uh, procurement data on uh, the first uh, six months of the last three fiscal years to see how many uh, RFPs actually come out in the markets that we focus on, which is IT and professional services. And in the first six months of each of those years, we get about 1,500 RFPs. So it's pretty steady state in terms of deal flow. But but what is uh, not not uh, baked in yet is this bump up in the spending and how we're going to deal with that in the the remaining five months of the year. Yeah,
0: and, and I think that's a really important point. I want to sort of foot stomp what Bob just said, but also add. Uh, folks saw the budget deal, I think, and as we we tend to get overly optimistic when we see what we think is a budget deal. So we have a we have a budget two year budget deal. And we have a we have a a, a a fresh spending bill, a fresh appropriations. So the baselines going forward have risen. That's all goodness. Um, for a lot of the civilian agencies, there's still some uncertainty as to what's actually going to happen after September. Um, you see the debate and the discussion over possible rescissions to the current deal. I don't know how far that will go. My own sense just politically is we're going to be in for a pretty rocky September and trying to get any kind of appropriations through and with the elections coming up. So if you're on the civilian side, and as Bob said, particularly at agencies that were under the gun, EPA being the most obvious state, I think, is getting a little bit more confidence. They've got stronger leadership, whether one supports politically or not, but Pompeo's a strong leader. They have a huge constituency in both parties on the Hill. I don't think Mm -hmm. there was a lot of appetite to cut state the way the administration wanted to. But on the civilian side, there is this uncertainty. Is is this budget going to hold? Are we actually going to get appropriations that let us really roll stuff out? On the defense side, where I don't think anybody believes the numbers are going to come down uh, because there's this and uh, there's pretty much a mutual agreement that we need to, that, to, to raise the defense spending. A lot of that money is either already been committed, and so it's not really in the sense fresh, mm-hmm. and then the other thing is a lot of the ways the defense department, particularly in IT and professional services, is going to the market is actually shifting. And so that creates another level of uncertainty for a lot of players who have been in the market for a long time. Hmm.
2: So... Bob, how how has this impacted, Uh, I I don't think it's impacted heavily large businesses, is that accurate? Uh,
1: No, I think it's impacting all all businesses. Okay. Um, I was
2: going to, I wanted to focus on medium and small, but if it's across the board, go there.
1: Yeah, and it's uh, some companies, we we talked to maybe 200 companies uh, off and on during the year, and they would characterize it as, uh, in, in many cases, it's slow. They, they have, uh, uh, they're, they're waiting on a lot of deals, but everything is still slipping to the right, the pipeline. And and we see that in the smalls, the mids, and the largest. And then two weeks later, it'll swing around, and they've got more more to respond to than they can deal with. So it's... It's up and down, kind of spiky, uh, I think, for companies.
0: I I agree. I think that the other thing is, and and we don't have really great data on this because it's so hard to get, as Bob knows, really good data. Um, But we've done some assessments, and this is mostly for a couple of clients. But we know, and this started, I don't know, Bob, was it three, four years ago, incumbent win rates started to come down a bit. There was clear signs of incumbent fatigue. But you were talking about (coughs) win rates that were in the low 90s coming down to the mid 80s or low 80s, Mm -hmm. so it was still a pretty good place to be. Some of the data we're looking at now suggests that the incumbent win rates for the very large guys are coming down much faster and much deeper than for the mid and smalls, which could be partially a result of the of the transactions that are taking place, the acquisitions, because that will show up as a, a non-incumbent recompete. Uh, but I think, and this is largely anecdotal, Bob talks to a lot of folks in the market, I think that there is growing concern on the on the customer side as to whether the very large guys who, who they want in the lead on everything. And that's not a criticism of the companies. I work with a lot of large companies, but they do have a bit of a branding and, and market position issue I think going forward and, in and, the space that we're dealing with. And,
1: and it's a challenging time uh, because we've been in a, a downdraft on budgets for so long that procurement is, uh, professionals have been leaning more to the price side in making selections. And it's put huge price pressure mm-hmm. on these companies. and part of the greatness in, in the larger firms is all the infrastructure they have and they carry and the expertise that they carry. Yep. And yet the government turns around and wants to buy on the cheap and, and and often appears that the bravest competitor is the victor, not the best competitors. I'm optimistic that that's turning around now, that the, the market is picking up. There's new money. Uh, government markets have a very short memory. And, and the idea of awarding to the lowest price technically acceptable offer will soon vanish in in our history other than some of the uh, real commodity buys.
0: And and the large companies have also been victimized unfairly in many cases, I think, by this perception that really began about five or six years ago that all innovation is vested on the West Coast or other pockets of technology development, whether it's Texas or Boston or what have you. And we saw that the latter half of the Obama administration was really an issue in several agencies. There were clearly procurements that were designed to avoid is to avoid larger companies. I see that starting to turn around a little bit, in the sense that, um, and it's just from our own client work. There are a couple of cases we're involved in some projects where very large companies who have really great capabilities are clearly clearly wanted and desired by the customer, but they may not be wanted and desired in the same lead integrator own it all run it for me role that they used to play. And that's a bit of a shift too. And that's partially also driven by the shift in how we buy technology.
2: Okay. We're going to take our first break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. We shall return right after this. Welcome back to Am Tower Off Center on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm here today with Stan Soloway and Bob Lofeld. Stan, give your uh, website, please.
0: www.celero-strat.com.
2: C-E-L- Celero, C E L C E R C E
0: L E R O. There you go. Celero oh, strategies.
2: <laughs> Bob. Uh, Lofeld Consulting. Yeah. Lofeld
1: Consulting Group. L O H F E L D. Lofeld Consulting. com.
2: All right. So I want to talk about. And I've written about this a lot. The the G WAC and IDIQ milieu that's that's going on seems to be accelerating. So, uh, Bob, why don't you lead off?
1: Well, there's, there's clearly a trend that the government market is moving towards vehicles. And uh, there's so many good ones out there uh, that are going to become dominant in the market. And more and more deal flow, we think, will go through these vehicles. Uh, personally, less deal flow going through full and open competitions. The, the great vehicles out there now, Alliant and Oasis from uh, GSA are, are uh, running strong and gaining market share. Have Seaport uh, E and Seaport Next Gen to come on the Navy side do, doing well. CIO uh, SP and SP3 and CIO CS and all these uh, vehicles are becoming mainstays in the market. And they're they're sopping up uh, work in these different procurement offices, because it's expedient to uh, get the work under contract. And many, and I think in most of the procurement offices, they don't have the resources and to Joanne take on one added, more procurement.
2: fifteen uh, percent uh, services onto soup five uh, services being tied to the products being mm-hmm. purchased. Yeah. Yes, yeah, of the vehicles
1: are opening their aperture and they're taking uh, a, a larger appetite here and a bigger uh, chunk out of the market.
2: Yeah. So, Stan, what's your uh, what's your take on this?
0: Well, I think I think Bob's absolutely right. I think a couple of questions, and these are questions I don't have any answer. Maybe maybe one of you do um, to, to this one. But the question I have going forward, and when I say going forward, let's just say panning out the next three years or so, So when I look at these vehicles part of the question I ask is what are they actually buying off of buying off of them? And then the second one, and this may be a little bit DOD centric, but it could become increasingly a civilian agency question. And that is, are they using these vehicles primarily to buy, I'm going to, I'm going to use the term, not in a pejorative sense, run of the mill services and IT support, but going elsewhere, to do the stuff that actually is going to be potentially disruptive and, and higher end. So let me give you an example. So the Air Force is using Oasis extensively. I believe the Army has started to use Oasis, if I'm not mistaken. Bob, I'm just looking at Bob. I, yeah, the, I think I, I, Air Force has I, I, pretty much said we're going through Oasis, yes, but it's all yeah. for their CETA work and their services. <clears throat> but if you look at, um, and this is not a, this is a joint command. It's not Air Force. Look at U.S. Transportation Command. They want to redo their entire transportation management system, their TMS, which is an enormous system. I think of the size of Transcom. Instead of going through the normal process, they did another transaction, selected a team that includes an integrator, a traditional integrator, non-traditional. It's a whole stack of capabilities. They're now developing the prototype. If that prototype actually pans out, which one would expect it would because they weren't looking for something that needed to be created, it was how do you put existing stuff together? that will roll right into a very large contract. Non, there's no reason to compete it yeah,
1: non-competitive. And so
0: you're taking hundreds of millions of dollars of what some people might have seen as a potential adjustable market off the table. If you look at the role of DIUX uh, and others, so where they're focusing for companies that want to go sort of upmarket. in that, I'm going to call it the innovation sphere, which is a terrible word, but in that level, My question is, and it's a real question, is how much will be done in those, whether it's other transactions or direct contracts or what have you, versus going through the the existing GWACs and other vehicles? And then the other question I have is, where is GSA actually going to go with its entire look at consolidating? They they have a goal of creating essentially one corporate contract methodology, which— to me, becomes mammothly complex in a government environment. I don't know what, what your yeah, sense of it is, it, but It does
1: for sure. The, the DIUX and the uh, OTA is a really interesting phenomenon. You know, OTA has been around a long time with uh, agencies That's like right. NASA, right, yeah. NASA doing uh, a lot of work under OTAs. But it's become the fad of, of uh, 2018 and 2017 to use this as a procurement mechanism to uh, take you outside of the FAR, and uh, do a, a proposal. In the case of DIUX, we're doing one now, and the uh, the initial the initial brief is five pages long. So and it's
0: all about capability; it has nothing yeah. to do with price or yeah, That's exactly. right. And
1: and this is it's like reading an exact summary, probably the best written exact summary that's ever been written to get it into five pages. But you write it for five pages. They bring you in for a face to face discussion or demonstration of what you want to do. And then they tell you, we like it, let's write a full full proposal, and we'll do it collaboratively with DIUX. Right.
0: With it's a very commercial model. <laughs> uh, it is,
1: and that's how we do it on the commercial yeah. side. It's very collaborative. Yeah. And, and then they, you walk away with uh, uh, multiple millions of dollars worth of business. I, I know of at least one company that said their, their whole business strategy has changed now, and it's all about OTA, and that's where they're going. No more of this writing a 200-page proposal for some agency. They're going to go out there, write five-page briefs. and, and uh, Is that talk, a
2: good strategy
1: for them? Uh, it, might, it depends on the company and depends on where you are in the market. No, the
2: company you're talking about. I don't want the name of the company. For, I just want
1: For one the company them. that we're working with, this yeah. is their only strategy, and it's the right strategy for them to go there.
0: Okay. So I've, I've spent a fair amount of time on this also in the last year, and I've written a lot about it. Um, I have a couple of things I think Bob said is exactly correct. Uh, but first we have to step back and ask the question, why is this happening? and it is, I think it's fair to say that it's the fad of the last two years. Um, What I worry about is that we're gonna start asking the wrong questions going forward to decide what what OTA, or processes like that, what role they play. In my, this is my own opinion, is that this is being, this is the customer rising up and saying, we're tired of an acquisition system that is so slow, so bulky, too often going, low price, which is not what the mm-hmm. customer was driving, but that comes from the acquisition folks. And we're gonna go around the system. And if you look, if you listen to the very senior leadership, uniform and civilian in DOD, they are singing this tune very loudly. And I know for a fact that the vice chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff is an enormous fan of DIUX, of the digital service, he's pushing them together. Mm-hmm. Ellen Lord, the Undersecretary for Acquisition, is saying, I want to do more of this, not less. So I think this is a, I don't want to overstate, but this is something of a customer revolt. This is the customer driving something, not the acquisition community. The other thing I was going to say is, what you now start hearing is, well, did we use it right here? Is it being used right? Is it being abused? We're going to have that conversation probably this year. And I think next year's defense bill, we're going to see how that conversation plays out, if there's going to be a statutory change. But I think we have to keep a couple things in mind. One, what's really driving this from a business side, other than the customer, is the addition of what they call production authority. The ability to take another transaction, which was typically used to sort of advance R&D into that prototype phase, but then you came back into the system and had to compete out for the full production. Congress two years ago said, or a year and a half, whatever it was, said, you know what? That's silly. Why don't we allow it to go to production? That's the way you would do it in a commercial model. That is not a new idea. When I was in the part, department in the 90's, we were negotiating with Congress to get production authority because it was mm-hmm. not having that was the biggest barrier to getting non-traditionals in. What's in it for me? I go in, I do development, I get to production. Now I got to go compete my idea. So, so you have this production authority. But coming back to this abuse question and how are they used and what role they have, a lot of the conversation now, and you hear this uh, from senior defense officials in some, in some of the services, you've seen it from the outside and, and, and much less from the hill, well, these are special authorities. They have to be used carefully, implied carefully. My own view is the question we ought to be asking, and this is getting a little bit into the advocacy as opposed to advisory role here, is are they working? Is Transcom actually able to get a high-quality TMS under contract and underway faster with a, comp- with a competitive environment? These are competitive. Anybody in the world can compete for these competitive environment, with the kind of transparency, accountability, and so forth that we expect with the public dollar. If the answer is yes, my question is, why are they still special? (laughs) Isn't that what we should be wanting to do? Uh, There is a mindset, though, of, well, the FAR is a concrete box that we can never get out of. I'm not one who believes the FAR is the core problem of federal acquisition, but if there's a process that's working (coughs) outside of the FAR, why wouldn't we want to use it? And so I think we're going to have that discussion going forward.
1: The the FAR is a a great document, and and it's an accumulation of probably uh, you know, 100 years of procurement experience and problems that we've encountered and doing it wiser. So, so it's not something to be tossed away. And yet uh, OTAs are, are almost like a, a commercial sale where you, you say, hey, I'm selling this. Are you interested? Yes, I'll come in and tell you more about it. You know, how much do you want to buy? And, and it's all done uh, very, very quickly, 30-day, 60-day cycle on this stuff.
0: But then you have to prototype it. You have to prove it out. And it's well, not like they well, jump right it, into
1: And here's what's interesting yeah. for me about prototypes. I, I think if you're in a market where technology is evolving, you could argue uh, academically that everything is a prototype because whatever you build is, is going to be replaced by something bigger and better and faster. And, and uh, it, it makes it a very wide aperture for things to be called prototype.
0: So, let me come back to the strategic question, if I could, yeah. for a second. I think it was a great sure. question. I was interested that Bob said that one of his clients has decided that is their strategy. Um, and we have this conversation with a number of clients. Uh, my own sense is, and this is very generalized, you have to be very careful about that in, in any market, is that if you're a, 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 an existing sort of traditional government contractor with great capabilities but just have been in the market for a long time, don't have much of a commercial play, it needs to be part of but it can't be the core of your strategy. Remember, if you're a traditional player to get an OTA you either have to be second tier, you can't be in the lead, or you have to have a cost share. You have to be willing yeah. to put a portion of the money. Now, if you're a very large company with IRD funds and so forth, very often the IRD you're spending can qualify as the cost share if it's directly related, but there is a cost to it. Um,
1: it's good for the small business community. They yeah. they can play under the radar and don't have to do And it first. and
0: the two that I'm involved in right now are gonna be led by smaller, non-traditional technology mm-hmm. players with large integrators in support, and the large integrators are they totally get it. They've been very. It's actually been a very collaborative environment. It's not been a sort of pulling by the, the by their teeth. Um, I think the other strategic question is what's the role of the consortiums? Um, there are, I think, eighteen consortiums now. So, folks who don't know, other than DIUX, almost all OTAs go through a consortium. In other words, the what what what's called the commercial services offering or the problem mm-hmm. statement is funneled through an existing organization that becomes the sort of the 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 connective tissue between the providers and the government. So if you think of what, there's there's one called C5, which is IT and technology and and so forth. They have hundreds of members. And so the government will come to them. They will then post to all of their members. Think of it like a schedule. I mean, there's hundreds of companies getting the opportunity to look at this and potentially submit. And and often the, the, the consortium management group that runs the consortium becomes sort of the contracting buffer and kind of works through them. Um, if I look across the 18 different consortia, I think something like two-thirds of the members, I forget the exact number, we looked at it, but certainly the larger ones are companies that are in the market. They're traditional government contractors, and about 30% or so are non-traditionals. Um, if you're in the market as a traditional government contractor and you're really interested in, in OTAs, I think you have to very strategically approach those consortiums and get involved because it's, it's the information resource. It's, the, it's in the community. DIUX is different. They do not use consortia. They go direct. They just go out to the, you have to have their RSS feed to know something comes up. And you hit, so there's strategic questions of how you play with OTA, not only, not just should it be part of your strategy. God, I'm glad I didn't write about this in the last book because it would have confused the hell out of me.
2: We're going to take a break. You're listening to Damn Tower Off Center on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. We'll be back after this. Welcome back to Am Tower Off Center on federalnewsradio.com dot com and fifteen hundred AM. I'm here with uh, Stan Soloway and Bob Lofeld. and you know the outtakes would be a better radio show, but you can't have them. Uh, sorry,
0: <laughs> you've just ensured somebody's going to go get them.
2: <laughs> well, I've I've just assured Jason and Tom will be listening to them before they're trashed. <laughs> so. So, Stan, talk talk to me about this uh, this Jedi thing that 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 keeps I mean The new Han Solo movie's coming out. Is that the same thing? <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> it, the, it, it's not an accident that that the uh, that the DoD procurement is called Jedi because they want that sort of Star Wars futuristic name to it. Um, let me back up a step on it, and and there's a couple of things that, that sometimes get confused. And this kind of harkens back a little bit to our discussion on other transactions. You may recall a few months ago the department announced that they were using a, they were going to use a, a, a cloud migration contract awarded to a company called cloud, um, to do all of the migration services across the department. So it was a $60 million, I think, something like that other transaction that had actually been done by Transcom. And they were going to glom everything onto it. And there was this big uproar, and they backed off. And my own view is that it was the right thing to do was to back off because there's a lot of folks who can do cloud migration. Why would you limit to one company and so forth? So that... Immediately on the heels of that is this whole Jedi debate, and for those who haven't followed it, it is the proposal that's been floating in very serious ways, I mean drafts and so forth, about potentially having a single cloud provider for the department. Um, if you follow really carefully what's being said, it's not going to be a single cloud provider anyway. There's still going to be some alternatives out there. Um, I think leaving alone whether that makes sense, and I don't have a knowledgeable opinion on it. I mean, it's not my area. I think there's a couple things behind it that are really worth considering. One is, what is the objective? I believe the objective and this goes back to the what we were talking about earlier about the influence of digital services and the innovation board and others who are really driving a lot of the technology agenda at the defense department is if you really think about the commercial marketplace, there's only a handful of cloud providers that matter. I mean Amazon is clearly the biggest. But then you got Azure and you got Google and maybe IBM. So you've got a handful of companies. Secondly, so, so part of the question you get from the folks driving this is, why do I want a government market where I am, and I'm gonna overstate this, essentially maintaining or paying <clears throat> for dozens, if not more than that, of providers when there's a commercial world that's already doing it? Think of it back to the days of Defense Department talking about civil-military integration and this whole idea of why did Boeing have to maintain a completely separate facility in Wichita, entirely paid for by the Department of Defense, when a lot of the work there could have been integrated into what they were doing in Seattle and shared with their commercial base, which is something Boeing would have loved to do, by the way, because and it would have been it's kind of an advanced version of that kind of question. Why do I want to do that? Second is what you hear from the folks who are driving this, and this I think, again, it's not my area of expertise, but I think it's a really interesting discussion. They are convinced and they are proselytizing inside the building that the quality of security you will get in a purely commercial cloud, I mean, granted, there will be classified instantiations. It's not going to be one thing. That the quality of security, the the security capabilities in an Amazon and Azure and so forth in the commercial space are every bit as good, if not better, than what we mandate in government. So this may be the beginnings of a discussion about how we approach cloud security and some of the walls that exist to some of these non-traditionals that Bob and I and others are working with who are not fed ramped and getting fed ramped is painful. And this question I think that's going to start to be asked is, do we need to have everybody, quote, fed ramped to get them into the game? So I do think the Jedi debate is interesting. I don't think it's going to end up single source. I believe they may have a single a single award to begin with, but they're going to be on ramps. And ultimately, I think their goal is to have three or four key players. And the other thing they'll tell you is one of the things that goes on, and this is a procurement problem for the government, one of the things that goes on commercially is that these guys out there, they're iterating every two and three days. They're constantly iterating their capabilities, where we don't even have a contracting process that really enables that. And so they worry that we're going to lose access to that.
1: This is one of the interesting things about JEDI is, uh, and its objectives, is it wants to maintain parity with the commercial marketplace. And in contrast to what we've seen great in other procurements, where the government buys an infrastructure, the infrastructure sits there for 10 years and, and the contractor maintains it kind of as is. Well, here in Jedi, they're saying that the innovation is occurring daily. We want uh, we want to ride on that innovation. We don't want to be tied to back yeah. by so by it's a fixed infrastructure. Somewhat
2: accelerated Moore's law.
1: <laughs> it is, yeah. Keep up with Very Moore's much. law as it's yeah. practiced in the commercial market. That the whole uh, Jedi concept is it's a hugely complex undertaking. To say let's start moving everything to a cloud where we have to. To provision for all, all security levels, from, from uh, un- unclassified to highly classified. We have to, to have an infrastructure architecture that can suffer a catastrophic failure, and really catastrophic if you think in a DoD sense, and still function. And it has to be globally accessible. And if you think about all the requirements that are levied, on, on the commercial providers by JEDI, it's it's a hugely complex undertaking to do.
0: Would you agree, Bob, that, that and it's a question, not, it's not rhetorical, would you agree that um, their view seems to be that today, if you look at, for instance, what AWS is doing, that it's one of the few providers that actually checks all of those boxes? Azure's clearly in that realm as well. I and mean, that's probably the limited scope that they see, is that's why there's only a handful that we want to pay the costs of getting to that level.
1: And I think that's that true. That's part of the argument that yeah. there's only a handful of players and who, whoever takes us, it's like winner takes all. Uh, th- they're going to have a, a straight shot into the marketplace that'll last a decade or more. And, and the argument I think is less about technology whether they should have two, one or two. It's about divvying up the pie so that all the players don't get left behind. Well, I mean, remember, I it's only it. a two-year contract, so Here,
0: there will
2: be well, lots of on-ramps and so on. I'm going to draw a strange analogy, but SmartPay has four banks. Two make money; one makes most. Mm-hmm. Okay, so one bank probably shouldn't even bid in the next SmartPay iteration. Okay, because they no agencies have bought off.
1: So I, I'm uh, personally perplexed by the two-year uh, period of performance. It's yeah. You're going to migrate
0: and get the migration started. Yeah.
1: You, you can't yeah. even get it underway in yeah. two years. You're going to, it is so complex that to me, it's a, it should be a long, a long term, uh, proposition. Not, but my, I, but I using
0: was, the smart pay analogy and be back to what Bob <clears throat> said, because I, I really yeah. like the way you put it in terms of riding this commercial wave, which is much more, um, dynamic than anything we've been able ever to mm-hmm. which sort of achieve in a government environment. Um, that the message to the marketplace I see is, and we all know lots and lots of companies that are in the federal space that have cloud capabilities. I think the message to the market is, folks, going forward, if this happens, that's no longer gonna be a market for anybody other than the the major commercial players because for the same reason with SmartPay, you need large, well-financed, well-secured banks. We need the same thing in cloud. It doesn't mean your cloud is bad, it means that we don't need 50 or 100 of them we want and, and, a, a set that we know are riding that way
1: a, a newcomer can't capitalize the infrastructure can't can't finance that kind of infrastructure to be competitive with right. these other commercial players that have such a, a strong running running history and, and, and
0: there's one other dynamic I'm sorry just to throw this other piece no, no, in no, here and right. I think it's related to JEDI, um, and, and although I haven't had this conversation specifically with the department and that is that, it, it, certainly with the clients we work with in the tech space, and this is true certainly with our Sil- oh, sorry, Silicon Valley clients, is the next phase is going to be some form of uh, inter-cloud capabilities. And so we're not far, and I don't know how long we are, from the ability to take something that you're having hosted on AWS and moving it in whole over to an Azure or to a Google or, and back and forth. So there's going to be a different kind of competitive dynamic, as I understand it, going forward in the cloud space and in the government size, that's a great thing because now you could have a hand and they're going to be the competition between them. It's not going to be all one player. As, yeah. if, and, and that's the only
1: uh, architecture to give you the resilience that you need in that infrastructure. You have to be able to move these, right. these assets around uh, uh, virtually in, inside the, the, the cloud structure and, and they acknowledge in Jedi there's going to be multiple clouds. It's not just one one place and everybody's got to be in that it's it's going to be connected to the, the air force has some cloud structure out there now well, i'm they glad i threw this into the mix so
2: jedi could be a very significant game changer and uh, it will
0: migrate yes no to civilian <clears throat> i don't know if it migrates to civilian i still don't think we know how it's actually gonna ultimately be procured i think the congress is going to want to have a say in this they've raised some questions um I just don't know what the schedule looks yeah. like in terms of how it ultimately plays out, but I think it is a. I think it's a sign of things to come, one way or the other, that we're going to head this direction.
1: And we're we're going to see an RFP this this month, and uh, we're going to see the the single versus multiple award uh, argument come out here uh, shortly, be released, and it'll be most interesting reading to see what's in it. But it'll one be way or another, interesting
2: to see if they listen to this segment of the show.
1: Yeah, man, <laughs> <laughs> I'd be honored. I'd be flattered. One way right. or another, it's moving forward. Yeah, it's, right. it's a great thing, a great trend. Cool.
2: We're taking a break. You're listening to Tower Off Center on federalnewsradio.com at 1500 AM. We're going to come back and talk about the portal of portals. Welcome back to Tower Off Center on federalnewsradio.com at 1500 AM. I'm here again with uh, with Stan Soloway of Solero and Bob Lofeld of Lofeld. So we're just dropping it down to one word here. Salero. So. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's like some of these uh, singers; they just have a first yeah. name, you know? yeah,
2: and, and you yeah. can find both these guys on <laughs> on LinkedIn with uh, several million of my other friends. Um, so, um, St- Stan, start us off here. This the, the you know the legislative background of the e-commerce portal.
0: So, this is the provision that uh, is in the defense bill from last year. Was came out of Chairman Thornberry in the House and. The, the basic intent, as the legislation kind of stated, is that to enable the government to take advantage of and access these commercial online portals, Amazon, Granger, Staples, that, that world of capability. Um, without getting into all the weeds and so forth, essentially what has happened is GSA, they did not jump in and say, hey, we'll do it, we'll do it. it was, they, they were asked to take the lead when it became government-wide. Originally, it started out was an idea just for DOD, but it then went, was made government-wide They were given two initial tasks. One was to come back to Congress, which they have done, with a report on the legislative and regulatory changes that might need to be made in order to enable them to enable the government to get into that portal environment. In other words, what do we need to do to change our processes to be able to take advantage of them? They have done that, and that's the report that a lot of people talk about. And I would urge people, you know, it has things like raise the micro purchase threshold and so forth, but I would urge people to see that as a report of. Uh, a first tranche of sort of what we're thinking about where we need to go relative to policy and law. This is far from settled and they won't actually know all the details until they get into the actual architecting of what it might look like. The second piece is over this year, they have a year to develop an implementation plan. And that is just now starting. Um, And I've had the privilege of having some involvement with them. And without getting into too many specifics i think what they're trying to do is stay away from preconceived notions which is always informs any government agency informs companies a lot when they have a quote new initiative you you tend to look at it through the prism of what you know and what exists and what they're really trying to do as they go through this is break out of that prism and and ask some what if questions as well which is a really hard thing to do because too, particularly since they don't control all the levers that would make it possible so we're going to see this play out over the next year. They're very open to inputs and so forth. Um, I know a lot of folks have looked at the report and had c- criticisms and concerns, and, and I don't don't say they're wrong, uh, but I wouldn't look at what's gone to Congress to date as being indicative of everything that's going into the thinking as they go forward. Uh, there's a lot of questions. One is, do you need a government layer in between, or can we go direct? I mean, there's that question. There's the question of GSA Advantage. What's the, what's the issue with GSA Advantage? Interestingly, there's a paper that will be presented next week at the Navy Postgraduate School and I'll be out there at their big acquisition conference that's going to claim that, that, that we don't need to do this because GSA Advantage has better prices than the online portals and has great customer service. The flip side of that is that every survey I've ever seen says GSA Advantage has terrible customer service. <laughs> and when they talk about price, they're only talking about the price of the of the commodity, they're not looking at the infrastructure cost to run a GSA Advantage. So we're going to go through all of this discussion, it's a lot to have here a lot to have discussion about here. The bottom line is, my own view is, at the end of the day, I think this is a really important exercise. I think it, from a perspective of moving the procurement needle, it's gonna be very small, it's gonna be a minor set of of commodities that are affected by this, and I don't know that it's gonna disadvantage big pieces of the market or any of that. Uh, We'll find out as we go forward. I think the most important piece is it really should start a very in-depth conversation about the future of procurement, because it is really the first significant opportunity Congress has given the agencies to start to look at what happens when we start to take procurement into uh, the process automation era and machines making decisions and, and so forth and machines doing comparisons and machine learning and all that. That's where the commercial world is now, and they are continuing to go down that path. And I think this opens the door to a really important conversation because, frankly, the advent of process automation, machine learning, and artificial intelligence and all of that has tremendous implications for how we do procurement in the federal government. What happens to the 190,000 or 220,000, whatever you want to, number you want to use, acquisition professionals, what their role is. No one's suggesting they go away, although you may have fewer. What do they focus their time on? That's a big question, and I think it's really about the future of acquisitions. Probably the, could be the biggest thing that comes out of this.
1: Yeah, I would, I'd certainly agree. It, it's a, a small start, but it could have huge implications across all of acquisition. I, I read the uh, submission to Congress, the first, first phase submission, and, and it really wasn't uh, so much a plan. It was more trying to frame the question of, of what's, what's at stake here. What what are the different kinds of solutions that could be embraced under this portal concept, but not giving any uh, uh, what what you'd normally expect to see in a plan? Here's what we're going to do. Here's the time schedule for it. It's not that at all.
0: Th- think of the think of the complexity of what they have to do here. I mean, not only do they have to develop an internal expertise on how the different online marketplaces function, and they've had a com- lot of conversations with them even before uh, even before the, the final legis- the, the, the legislation was signed. They knew it was coming. Um, but there's still a lot more to go. And they each have sort of different business process models and different business policies. So one of them actually does report small business. Now, is it small business in the manner we need it report? But there are different kinds of ways, and data capabilities that they have. But then translate that to really, to use a, a techie term, journey map this whole thing out, and it gets really complicated. And so I, I give them credit. They're stepping back. They need to take their time. And I think people ought to continually inject questions. But I don't think anyone ought to draw conclusions until they get much further down the road and start surfacing. some. One of the good things in their, the approach is that they're going to be looking at
1: small uh, commercial transactions right. and, and not try to take on a, a quarter of a million dollar transaction through a, through a portal. So the, the caps now for the smalls, it's, they want to raise it up to $25,000 is their plan. Right now it's 5000 or 10000 But if they get in that range, it's a comfortable strata for doing online transactions, uh, doing them quickly the same way you would do them in a commercial market. And they avoid some of the the more complex rules in government procurement that apply to larger dollar uh, transactions.
0: I think that's true. I think the other thing that... Um it's going to be really interesting, and this is this is a tough one to predict how the government's going to respond to it, but you see this commercially, certainly, both in our own consumer lives but increasingly in business. Um, I was in a research lab at a company uh, about eight months ago, six months ago, and they're working with Brita on the next generation Brita filters. And I they may be, as far as I could tell, they're ready to go to market. It seemed They certainly had the prototypes up. And you're going to have a Brita filter in your water pitcher in your house, and when the filter goes I bad, it's going, send a si- <laughs> and it's going to send a signal, because it's going to be it's an IoT operation. It'll send a signal, and two days later, you'll have more Brita filters on your doorstep. We're going to this sort of automated demand <clears throat> response or, or usage responses, and so it's predictive analytics on one side, but it's also sensors and so forth. They're making bolts now for tires. They're experimenting with bolts with sensors in them for tire wear and tear. So my point of this is. If that's where this whole question of the internet of things is going, and you look, as Bob said, at basic commodities, paper, and mm-hmm. things like that, are we going to get to a situation, and we're ta- talking 10 years, we're talking within a couple yeah. of years, where the system's going to automatically be replenishing your supply, and you're not going to have a human in there. What, what, a, what a great thing yeah. to do that. But that's where the, some of this leads, right? yeah. yeah. And,
1: and you know, it'll, it starts small, small uh, dollar transactions, but if, as those prove out, everybody's going to want to raise the threshold. And, and uh, soon it'll be you know, 50,000 or 100,000 or multiple hundreds of thousands can be bought with a, a couple of clicks of the mouse. And, and that, that begins to in, uh, impose itself on other vehicles that are in the market today, like, like GSA Schedules and maybe soup, and maybe CIOSP uh, uh, commodity services be- begin to erode away market share to this portal.
0: If you take it outside of the commodity product environment, which is all we're really talking about yeah. now, but you're right, it could grow to that. The other question, and th- this idea of raising the threshold to 25,000, I don't know what the data is across all federal procurement, but certainly when Congress was looking at raising the thresholds for protests, one of the things that we saw was raising it between 10 and 25,000 dollars per contract or you know, because they had the ten thousand dollar threshold was meaningless because there were so few procurements that actually fell between ten yeah. and twenty five thousand. Typically they jump from ten thousand to fifty or a hundred thousand. Yeah. So I'm yeah. not sure that's gonna have that yeah. big I, I
1: stuttered when I tried to say that the transaction threshold was five thousand and ten thousand. I I've never talked about things at that, that small a dollar amount. I wanted to say five million and ten million, but but it's uh
2: that's bread and butter for a lot of the tradition you know like the cdw started off in that range um all of the catalog companies uline uh, a lot of the furniture companies started in that micro purchase and and there's nothing
0: to say that they're not going to be able to be part of this online marketplace that's the other thing the law didn't say some people thought initially i remember going to a number of events people saying Congress has directed GSA to create an online marketplace. The answer is no. Oh, Congress wow. told GSA to figure out how and if we could access online marketplaces. So there's, depending how they play it out, there's nothing to stop all of these different kinds of capabilities. And I think we all know that even the smallest retailers now have websites and you can buy direct from them. Yeah. So
1: I, I kind of like the concept of a portal of portals. So you have one from the government market. You have a single sign-on. You're in the portal. You can navigate seamlessly across all these other portals that are out there in cyberspace and do the transaction you want with all those other portals agreeing to provide the kind of data back
0: That'll to the master portal right. that
1: we need to manage our federal procurement process and do the analytics that yeah. should I be
0: think involved. of Trivago as a sort of a model of that. It is, yeah. 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 It,
2: it, it taps into multiple sources. Um, we're out of time. Uh, so we have two options here. We can stop the radio show portion and continue online for another segment. And I would like to do that for another five minutes or so. So uh, if you're listening on the radio, you have been listening to Amtower Off-Center on federalnewsradio.com. I'm here with Stan Soloway, Bob Lofeld. If you want to continue hearing this, uh, go online at federalnewsradio.com. Uh, look up Am Tower Off-Center, and uh, you'll see the rest of this show. Uh, thanks for listening on your radio. You. So now I want to ask the, the end of FY gig. Do you have thoughts? I mean, I, 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 I'm i going to find this vastly amusing because the money hasn't been let loose yet. Yeah. There's been some rumblings from the Trump administration about asking procurement people not to spend it all, like that's going to happen.
0: Uh, yeah, I, 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 that's a really... I hesitate but to comment on that because it's really... I have now heard for the first time from a couple people that a couple of agencies at least are getting explicit or implicit spend instructions from OMB to underspend their budgets.
1: <laughs> wow. But
2: Because you Do you want to say that online? I can wrap I, I up can the show the other way. I
0: can refer to it as there is talk that. I don't yeah, have any yeah, proof. Yeah. Okay. right? Um, but I've what? heard that, that interior that's... has been... Anecdotally, that's
2: what i've heard as well so because,
0: i have seen nothing i don't notice they're
1: a, worried about continuity with the next budget uh,
0: because the administration is basically saying screw God. i mean this has happened <laughs> before omb uh, has done uh, this before i mean i figured yeah. it, would, it was casper weinberger who put out instructions remember I, th- I think i was reading a history of this not too long ago because i'm boring it was but it was only one article um but i think the, omb has done this in the past they just haven't done it in like 25 or 30 years but they would Direct agencies to spend at seventy five percent of budget or something because, and and there's a I don't know what the law is around how much below you can go and all yeah, this kind of I stuff. Know, but you hear anecdotally. So if you want to, yeah. so, so I that, don't know if it's true, but that's, uh, I've heard the it's, same it's, thing.
2: That that and just in general.
1: So I think it's uh, going to be a, a good quarter, but not a great quarter.
0: Good fourth, the fourth quarter. Fourth
1: quarter. Yeah, it'll be okay. good, a good quarter, but but it's not going to be the blowout that.
0: But a good quarter to. is overwhelming to the system, and always <laughs> overwhelms. Nice. It. Yeah. A great quarter yeah. could break the yeah. system. <laughs> oh,
1: that's a good point. Yeah. Well, that yeah. this also
2: allows me to work. ask right. ask for overall thoughts. So, um, okay. so we're going to the fifth segment. Yeah.
1: good. All right, you
0: yeah. ready?
2: Okay. Welcome <laughs> back to AM Tower Off Center. Uh, I'm here with uh, with Bob and uh, and Stan still, uh, and thank you, gentlemen, for staying with me for a while. So the, the end of FY's shaping up uh uh I think kind of strangely. The money doesn't seem to have really been released, Bob. You mentioned that earlier. But, you know, I've heard uh, you know, this will be third hand information, uh, but from multiple sources that the administration has asked a number of agencies not to spend all their money. Stan.
0: Uh, yeah, mine my, my information is about, uh, I'd hate to have somebody ask me for the sources on this because I can't remember where I've even heard it. But I have heard from several people anecdotally um, that there is either – implicit. it would be implicit because otherwise it was explicit instruction. We'd see it in a document. But there has been some implicit direction to some agencies to underspend. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But th- you do hear that on the street that they've been told to, 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 to underspend. I, f- I forget what all the rules and laws are around how much they are allowed to underspend and so forth. Um, this is not the first time that's happened. Uh, if you look over history, OMB directors have, at times, directed agencies. Uh, they give them a spend plan.
2: But not for a while.
0: Uh, hasn't, th- th- not like this for a while. But, um, again, I hear the same thing you have. I just don't have any chapter and verse on it.
2: Yeah. I, I kept looking for that Obama memo that said you can't have conferences in Vegas or (laughs) I never found it.
0: I I will tell you one thing. I'm sorry, but on that, and I don't know if this is connected, but I do know one agency that terminated a procurement. And the rationale was that uh, it was inconsistent with the uh, reorganization and reform plans that they OMB directed agencies to submit the 1722 reports that they did. And I looked at that, and, and for the life of me, I can't figure out what the relationship is, but it was used as an excuse. So, so
1: in this fourth quarter, we, we have the plus-ups in the budget to deal with. You know, DOD got $80 billion. Civilian agencies got $63 billion. And, and uh, when you look look at sort of crystal balling here, DOD can probably absorb the money in, in the in, uh in procurements that are in place and uh, actions underway, civilian agencies I think is really, really uh, struggling given the abuse that they've gone through here and the, the changing trajectories that they've had to deal with. My 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 opinion is I don't think the civilian side can spend the money. So when we look at the fourth quarter closeout, the the banner quarter for all of us in the the government market, it my view it's going to be a good quarter, but it's not going to be the blowout that. That people are expecting. There's just not enough time to put all that in place and get it through the procurement system.
0: And and I just add to that that uh, it's, it's going to be a good quarter, but a good quarter in federal procurement one quarter, fourth quarter, is overwhelming to the system. It really puts enormous pressures on it. If there was a blowout set of opportunities, it could break the system.
2: Intriguing.
1: So look, looking down the road, uh, five yeah. years or so, 10 <clears throat> years, what what trends do we see? What's, what's it going to, what's going to reshape in the market? Take, <laughs> take a poke at this. That's, uh, well, if,
2: if we had that online portal, we could all be queued up.
1: Well, I think that's going to be one of the big trends. I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan of that idea. Uh,
0: I, I just, I mean, I'll just give a sort of very high level answer. because it's a great question. And it's, if we, if we actually had the answer, we'd all be retired in, in, in Bahamas right now. But, uh, <laughs> I think what I'm watching really carefully, and and I suspect Bob's doing the same thing in terms of how you talk to clients about strategy going forward the next, let's just say 18 months to 48 months, 36 months, which is the only window you can really see through. I'm watching very carefully to see how much this question of digital transformation we talk about actually takes hold, number one, because the change management associated with something like that is so enormous, and that's an area the government traditionally has really, really struggled with. So that'd be one thing. Uh, because the rest of the world is is going down that path, and it's going down that path really fast. The only other thing, and Bob sort of alluded to this a little bit earlier, about technology and where it is, and 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 the pace of change, or riding the wave of commercial innovation. It's not just that all. The, it's not. It's not that companies in the market, government market, aren't innovative. It is the, the the market pressures are different, and so the market pressures commercially to constantly iterate and innovate and get rewarded for it are very different than on the federal side. And that's one of the reasons when. People in federal say, "Oh, well, you know, our companies aren't all that innovative." Well, you got to incentivize innovation in the marketplace, and it's not necessarily incentivized. So, this change management piece, I think, is 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 very very big uh, for the marketplace. And then I think this coupled with that is just recognizing that we've been saying for twenty some odd years that the pace of change commercially is overwhelming. Well, it's trite but still true to say the pace of change is only getting faster and that you run the risk of falling further behind faster than we ever have.
1: The market will continue to be an exciting place, a challenging place, and great fun for the real practitioners, that's <laughs> all. And,
0: and, and
2: I thank you guys for sharing that with, uh, with me and our listeners. Uh, You've been listening to Amtower Off-Center on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Uh, This is not the day job for any of the three of us. Uh, Stan, tell people what you do for companies.
0: We do uh, growth strategy consulting, strategic and executive advisory work, work both with executive suites and with boards and on the market, market analysis, and uh, sort of growth strategy across the board.
2: And and if you couldn't tell, he's been doing this for a few weeks.
1: Uh, Bob? Our, our firm uh, writes proposals for government contractors and now non-traditional uh, government contractors as well. And we help companies uh, plan and execute capture. And then we teach classes and all of this stuff to, uh, to learn the trade. Cool.
2: And my company provides marketing uh, kibitzing, I call it, for a variety of companies in the market. I'm not an ad agency. I'm not a PR firm. But I do come in and look at the strategy and the tactics being employed offer suggestions. And I train a lot of companies on leveraging LinkedIn. And now that there is officially more than 2 million feds on LinkedIn, it might be something you want to uh, to consider taking a look at. And I thank you for listening to Amtower Off-Center.
0: Hey, electrical contractors, I'm Matt from ABB. Are rising costs and product delays keeping you up at night we can help you Contractor Better. ABB's contractor resources are designed to help you increase productivity and profitability on your commercial construction projects. Check out Contractor Better today. Visit go.abb.com slash contractorbetter.